Season three of Black Belt Voices is brought to you by Southern Bancor. Southern Bancor is one of America's oldest and largest community development financial institutions. Founded to provide underserved communities with access to capital and the wealth building tools needed to grow. On the web at banksouthern.com and southernpartners.org. Listening to the Black Belt Voices Podcast, where we tell stories from and about Black folks down south. These stories honor our history. You know, they didn't have any problem enslaving children their age. So why would you have any problem teaching children that slavery existed and what slavery was really like? Celebrate our culture. Black Southerners are just like none other. I mean, we are just seasoned to perfection, honey. And shape our future. Voting is a form of currency. You have to use it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Black Belt Voices. I'm Adina White. And I'm Kara Wilkins. We're continuing our series on Black food. And today, it's all about barbecue. Specifically, North Carolina barbecue. Come on and raise up. Remember that song, Kara? Take your shirt off. Fun fact, my <laughs> aunt lives next door to Petey Pablo. That's who sang that. Oh, yeah. That's very cool. <laughs> so um, our guest today... I don't think he does live next to Petey Pablo, but he lays out the differences in styles of barbecue from region to region. My name is Michael De Los Santos, or Mike D, as people better know me as. Um, I live in Durham, North Carolina. Mike D has a sauce and rub company called Mike D's in Durham. His journey to owning this business has some uplifting and heartbreaking twists and turns. He grew up in Richmond, Virginia, which he admits was not known for its barbecue when he was growing up. Uh, the church I was going to at that time, a lot of those folks were from North Carolina. And so about once a month or so, folks would drive down 95 to a town called Roanoke Rapids in North Carolina, a small town, and go to a place called Ralph's Barbecue. Uh, it had a buffet. And then we'd go down, eat the buffet, and then people would be buying just like large pints of barbecue to take back to last them for a while. And that's when I kind of fell in love with barbecue and specifically North Carolina style barbecue, because I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever eaten. Uh, having pork in that way. Mike D's first job was at a food truck back before food trucks were as popular as they are now. And that's when he really started learning about the crafts. When he got older, he moved to North Carolina and dug in even more. He started a blog to write about his experiences. I would review restaurants. I would travel around the state and even outside the state. That kind of grew into people sending me sauces to review. And all the while, I was sort of making my own sauces. I was looking for, you know, a different set of flavors that I didn't, I wasn't finding out there. Uh, and so just turned that into a barbecue sauce and rubs and was making them for like big cookouts. I would throw for people at my house. Um, and eventually people were like, Mike, you should be selling this. And I was like, well, we live in the South. Everybody's got a barbecue sauce who thinks it's the best, right? Go to the grocery store, there's whole aisles of just barbecue sauce. And so, um, you know, I wasn't planning on it, um, but, you know, things happened. We ended up winning like a finishing second place in an amateur competition. And so I was like, okay, maybe there's something to this. 
We talked at the top of the show about the different styles of barbecue and how that can be different depending on what region of the country you're in. So, you know, here in the South, we take barbecue very seriously, Adina. Um, So you have Mm -hmm. Memphis barbecue, you have St. Louis barbecue, you have, or is it Kansas City barbecue? You know what? They both may have one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Kansas so City is the main one. Yeah, Kansas City is the main one. And, you know, different people have different rubs. You know, I do some work in Louisiana. And so some of the rubs that they put on some of the barbecue there might be different than what you see in a traditional rub that you put on in Mississippi. So for me, I'd say I probably like pulled pork. That's probably my favorite mm-hmm. type of barbecue. If I in pulled pork from Sam's Barbecue in Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah, and let's don't sleep on Arkansas. You know, we have some good stuff, and um, also we didn't mention Texas. They may get a little offended here, but uh, oh, yeah. of course, I think Texas is known for their brisket. If I had to choose one, it would be if there was a meat platter, I would probably pick the brisket um, or some ribs. I like ribs too. I like ribs. I do. Yeah. Mm. Boom and hungry, and so <laughs> I like listening to Big Mike's description of the different types of barbecue. And this man, he knows his barbecue. I, I am a barbecue junkie, and so when I say I love barbecue, like I like mean it. Like barbecue for me is like a way of life, and so I wanted to learn everything I can about barbecue. So I'm gonna just read books, do some digging, kind of find different reasons to barbecue and what made them special. Uh, when I was just teaching myself how to make barbecue, I was teaching myself by trying different styles of barbecue from all the regions so that way I can know it. So that way, you know, as I grow the company and stuff, you got to be able to talk about the different regions of barbecue, right? You can't just be knowledgeable about your region. You got to know the other regions to be able to, you know, to talk about it and say why yours is better. Generally, when you're talking about the styles of barbecue in different regions, often it comes down to like what kind of sauce are you using? But the difference is really a lot deeper than that. So even within North Carolina, there's a lot of differences. So North Carolina is mostly known for vinegar style sauces. Um, you know, in the eastern part of the state where they're doing whole hog, mostly chopped barbecue, uh, vinegar style sauces, because the vinegar helps to break down the meat and tenderize it. And so the vinegar sauces are really popular. But the western part of our state uses a tomato-based sauce because they're more influenced by the folks in Tennessee. And so, and then we have like a, a center part of our state, like the Piedmont area where Lexington is, it has a Lexington style sauce, which is kind of a hybrid between the two. Um, and so North Carolina on its own has its own barbecue battles. Uh, but you get into like Kansas and Memphis, you know, Memphis is a, a sweeter, spicy sauce uh, that they use over there. And Mem- Memphis is more known for ribs. Kansas City is more known for, you know, across the gamut of meats, you know, that's where burnt ends off of brisket became popular. Um, uh, Kansas City, you know, they use, you know, thicker tomato sauces, often use molasses as a sweetener in that sauce. And so it's a little different. And you can go down into Texas. I guess we got to talk about Texas. They, they, they claim to be great at barbecue, too. Uh, you know, Texas is good barbecue, but they're mostly dry rub based, right? They don't use a lot of sauce down there. Uh, and they're really heavy into more beef than they are pork. And uh, use of, you know, they use a lot more oak in their smoking than other places do. So there's lots of little nuances, kind of all the different regions that you go to for barbecue. Big Mike's style of barbecue comes with a Latin American twist. Hmm, that actually sounds really good. Yeah. He is truly making it his own style. You know, if, we're, if we are really honest with ourselves, most barbecue flavors are African-American anyway. 
uh, if you get into like the history, like on, you know, and I know that's a topic for another podcast probably, but um, you know, that black folks are kind of the heart and soul of barbecue. I know it's been kind of changed over the years and there's not as many black faces on the forefront of barbecue, but our flavors are what make barbecue great anyway. But what I was thought I was missing from my background is, you know, my dad being from the Dominican Republic, I felt like there just wasn't enough uh, Hispanic Latin flavors in barbecue, right? If I wanted to add some of those twists in there, uh, I think, you know, I thought that there was a, could be a, a space for that as a, a, new, a new twist on barbecue. Big Mike and his family experienced tragedy in 2012. His baby son, Aaron, was born with a condition called hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which means half his heart didn't develop. He had to have open heart surgery as soon as he was born. And so he went through, in that six months, all but three weeks, we were in the hospital. Um, and just seeing like him just smile and be happy while he's got tubes all out, sticking out of him, everywhere from him. Like he'd come back from surgery and they'd have to leave like his chest cavity open so you could like physically see his heartbeat. Uh, and just like, he just, you know, when you're that age, you can't, you just have to try to live, right? You can't make excuses. You can't do anything but try to survive. And watching him do that for six months and, to, and doing that until he couldn't do it any longer. Um, I was holding him with his heartbeat for the last time when he took his last breath. And just like, just knowing that like he gave all he could until then without making any excuses was really sort of the the driving force behind the business. And I had, before that I had found like every excuse in the book why I can't start a business, right? I'm in the South. Everybody's got a barbecue sauce. There's too many of them. I can't do it. Like mine's not going to stand out. Uh, I have my own career that's doing something else where I can't just start a sauce business. I just, I found like every reason why I should do it. I'm not a businessman. I'm an advocate. I don't do business. I challenge people on policy, right? Um, but barbecue was something I had been passionate about for a long time. And just seeing the way he fought to live, I said, if he can do this, he can't make excuses. Like he just did it. Then there's no reason why I can't do that. And so trying to just sort of honor his memory uh, was really the heart of writing the business, uh, starting the business. Um, you know, right after he passed, you know, part of the way I dealt with that is I had wrote a book that sort of uh, helped me sort of deal with the grieving process. And right after I finished that and self-published that, I said, you know what, I need to honor him and not make excuses on my own and just, you know, we're not promised another moment. We don't know how long we're going to be here, no matter how far we fight to live. And so um, I need to chase my passions and go after my dreams. And that's what sort of pushed me to start the business. Mike also wrote a book about the experience with his son. It's called My Heart Warrior, Living with HLHS. He wrote it for other families who are going through what he went through and how to find inspiration. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes. And that's really awesome how he's using his platform and showcasing his experience so that he can encourage others to learn more about HLHS. And it kind of just talked about my experience with my son and just sort of the lessons I learned while we were in the hospital and uh, just how the impact it had on our family and sort of the, the faith challenges it had for us and some of the lessons that we learned. It's just a way for me to like grieve and get that process out there and feel like if anybody read our story and my son's story, if it could help you know, one person, that'd be good. And you know, we've had several families who were going through the same process as us who read the book and it sort of helped prepare them for for it and what to deal with it during it and even after it. And so that's that's what, what the book was about. Mike launched his first product in 2014. And in 2019, he was on the Discovery Show called I Quit. 
And Kara, have you heard of this show or watched it or anything? I have heard of it. I think the premise is that Mike works with aspiring entrepreneurs and um, helps them to quit their nine to five job to focus on turning their side hustles into profitable businesses. Is that kind of the thought? I think you summed it up pretty nicely. And Mike will tell us more about that. Uh, At the time, we didn't know it was going to be a discovery show. We were just somebody who worked for the Department of Agriculture uh, and the North Carolina Specialty Foods Association said, hey, Mike, we think you fit this casting call. You should apply. Like, I don't even like cameras. I was like, I'm not going to do that. Uh, And then my wife was like, well, you know, it doesn't hurt to apply, right? They're probably not going to choose you, but, you know, at least you apply. You don't know what's going to happen, you know? And next thing we know, like, we get a phone call that says, hey, we're interested. Can you do a video chat with us? And so we did that. And they're like, hey, can you fill out this application? So we did that. Then they're like, hey, can you do these little videos and send them to us? So we did that. And they're like, we just kept moving along in the process. I kept saying, this is not, uh, we're not going to get it, right? Still, we're just doing all this. And then we didn't hear from them for a couple of months, right? And it was getting almost to the end of 2018. And we hadn't heard from them. So I actually reached out to them and said, hey, just out of curiosity, can I see the little casting reel you put together that you were going to show the TV executive just so I can see what it looked like? And they're like, oh, you're a finalist to be considered for the show. So don't do anything drastic. And the crazy thing was at that moment, my wife and I were considering moving to California. Like there's all sorts of things that were on the table. And then I, uh, we kind of pressed pause on all of that just for the possibility of being on the show. Uh, and then, you know, come January, 2019, they said, you know, you're chosen. February, 2019, we started filming and we filmed for basically a year. Uh, it was a pretty interesting experience for somebody like myself, who's not a big fan of cameras to have cameras around all the time and doing all that stuff. So it was a pretty, pretty interesting experience, but it's been a very big blessing to us as well. The show follows six businesses as the owners quit their jobs on TV. Hence, I quit. Then for a year, it documented the ups and downs of starting their own businesses. Mike ended up winning $100,000 to grow his business. Right. And the thing is, none of the business owners even knew it was a competition. My guess is it's because that would change the dynamic if they knew that there was such a big prize at the end. But he says that $100,000 made the headaches of filming for one whole year worth it. Quitting his job literally gave Mike the time to hone in on his expertise around barbecue. I'd like to know if he offered any tips for novice grill makers cooking at home or their friends or their family. Oh, yes, he did. The main takeaway is that folks should trust the process. Uh, so I think the biggest mistake I see people make when they do barbecue is they, they look too much, right? So folks are too, they're lifting the lids of their grills and smokers too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just trusting the process and letting the, the fire and smoke do its job with the meat, right? If you want to keep looking at it. Every 20 minutes, you're like, check it, look, open up, checking the meat. And every time you do that, you're letting all that heat out. And you're, you're bringing the temperature of your grill or your smoker down. And it's got to get back up the temperature first. So, like, you're extending your cook times the more you look at it. It's probably the biggest mistake I think people make. I think the second biggest mistake is people try to do what they see on TV too much, right? And right now, all the cooking, all the barbecue shows on TV are all about, like, competition barbecue. And that's very different than cooking at home for your friends and neighbors. And a lot of stuff that people do from competition barbecue, you don't need to do because your food's not going to sit in a in a cooler for 
an hour before a judge sees it. Right? So you don't need to do all the extra injections to make the meat stay moist because chances are, once your meat plant is resting, you're going to be feeding people. It's going to be gone right then. And so uh, folks try to do too much what they see these folks do on TV uh, for competition barbecue, which, you know, is not what's needed when you're just doing some good down-home backyard barbecue. That's a lesson. Don't look too much. Trust the process. Right. Quit peeking under the lid. Just, just, just trust it. And he's also been involved in policy and advocacy work, specifically affordable housing. Before barbecue, I spent a decade working on uh, affordable housing policy, monetary policy, uh, economic justice. We would uh, do a lot of local affordable housing campaigns in North Carolina. Uh, back in 2009, I helped draft and lobby and pass sort of the first statewide standard for rental housing, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, but then after that, I spent a lot of time like challenging banks on predatory lending practices, um, and things like that would also sort of go up to Congress to try to help push for, for laws that would protect consumers. And and um, we did another, I did another campaign where I sort of challenged the Federal Reserve on interest rates and their diversity on their on their boards and stuff and how they need to look at unemployment differently because it affects all of us differently, including especially Black folks, where our unemployment is usually double what white unemployment is. So they can't just say, unemployment at 5% because for us, that means it's at 10% or above, right? And so did a lot of those campaigns, but, um, you know, affordable housing was probably the main, one of the main things I would come for. Things are going really well for Mike. Since 2016, he's won at least 15 different awards for his product. And he does have plans of opening a restaurant soon, but of course the pandemic put a pause on that project. For now, he's out here making sure everyone throws some D's on it. That's their slogan. I tell people all the time, I think if more people had barbecues, we could get world peace. Maybe we could get rid of racism or whatever. We just had barbecues because there's something about meat and a fire and smoke and just bring people together and they can put the differences aside, right? You can go in the South to a barbecue restaurant and know you're in a spot that may not like us. But you can go into a barbecue restaurant, you're not going to see barbecue and you all aren't going to like have any issues. You might have issues when you walk outside, but when you're inside eating that barbecue, you're like, all that stuff seems to just go away because of good barbecue. Uh, I just think barbecue, white food, just brings people together. Okay, so uh, here's our call and response. Um, number one, what does being Black and Southern mean to you? It means being strong. Like, I think Black folks in the South, we're just, we're strong people. It, it takes a lot to still be down here, living in the South as a Black person. So I just think it just means being strong to me. Mm, I like that. What do you wish people knew or understood about the South? Uh, I think what I wish people understood more about the South is that we're, everybody in the South is not dumb, right? There's this perception that, like, those 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 dumb folks down south like let's, let's explain things how how life really works to them uh, we're not dumb people down here down here we can do a lot of things first and not just be nice and cook good food <laughs> that's right and we can do that very well but <laughs> we can do other things too um what do you love most about living in the south what I love most about living in the South, I'd say two things, actually. It's kind of a tie, right? It's the food, obviously. Like, we just have such amazing food down here. But it's also that it's just a slower, laid-back pace of life. Like, yeah, you, you'll get some southern cities where it's a hustle and bustle, I think, about, like, Atlanta. But for the most part, when you live in the South, things move much slower. 
right? You're not in a hurry. Like things just move slower and it allows you to enjoy life a little bit more than just, you know, being in some of the hustle and bustle and some of the places. Where, like when I go up north, I feel like rushed all the time. Like, no, nah, I want to I drive slow down the street. I want to stroll down the street. Uh, I don't want to sit on my front porch and just relax. I think just the slower, laid-back pace of life in the South is one of the things I love about it. Mm. Uh, if you could change one thing about the South, what would it be? I would say, and this might be kind of an obvious answer, but I would really root out some of the, all the different forms of racism that exist in the South. Structural, institutional, just straight up, just your bigotry that exists down here. I would, I would, I would get rid of that if I could. Mm-hmm. Fill in the blank. I would love to sip sweet tea on the front porch with blank. Well, I guess it's a kind of a cliche answer that many people are going to say, but for me, it's it's Barack Obama. That's because I started my career as a community organizer, like he did. Uh, and even though I don't necessarily agree with every single piece of policy that he ever came up with or thought, I just. To see what it would be like to be the first black president and all the different pressures that that would come with. And just to be mm-hmm. able to sit down, sip on some sweet tea and talk about those experiences would just be, I think would just be amazing. And, and speaking of, uh, going on a tangent here, what what pairs well with barbecue? Like what drink pairs well with barbecue? Ooh, so, yeah, obviously sweet tea does, like the sweetness and sweet tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, pairs well because you often add, you know, good barbecues often got a lot of brown sugar in it because it can. You want it to be a little bit sweeter. Mm-hmm. Brown sugar helps get that bark on the um, when you're cooking it, smoking it with meat. Uh, but uh, I find that whiskey pairs probably the best with it, in my opinion. So oftentimes, like when I'm cooking, when I spritz my meats during parts of the cook, you know, I do the whiskey apple juice mixture when I'm spraying on there. There's something that whiskey just adds to barbecue that I think uh, can't be matched. Mm, okay. Yeah, so sweet tea, whiskey, whatever you want to sip on the front porch. <laughs> it all goes well with barbecue. And I guess it may depend on what region you're in, too. Like, North Carolina barbecue may have a different beverage of choice versus KC or whatever. Hmm. Yep. So what's your favorite black and or southern saying? Bless your heart. Yes. But it's so versatile, right? Like, you can say bless your heart as a good way. You can make it, you can be very condescending when you're saying bless your heart, very sarcastic. It's like the most versatile phrase, I think, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's also just like, but it also allows, like, you know, we, in a previous question, we talked about the racism that would change in the South, right? In the South, even the racist sometimes are often nice to you initially, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hidden behind the bless your heart, right? They don't want to say anything outright mean and racist to you. So, Say something like "bless your heart," and you yeah. find out later that it meant for them something completely different. Um, <laughs> but even with that, just "bless your heart" is, I think, just a a saying that like is true to the South. Oh yeah, and it is. It is a very powerful phrase, like because it has a little bit of a little bit of compassion there, but also some some snarkiness and some shade. Like it's, yep. <laughs> it's um, and this is good one for you. What's your favorite soul food dish? And at the risk of losing your black card, what's one soul food dish that you could live without? Okay. So my favorite soul food dish is macaroni and cheese. Like, mm. I just think there's nothing. Like, mac and cheese goes with everything. And when you do it right, and I mean right, like when you take it out and you can stick your fork in it and the fork stays standing <laughs> <Yes>. up. Yes. <laughs> right? When you get it right like that, it goes with anything. Uh, and so the soul food dish I could do without, like, I, I get, I catch for this all the time but like i 
don't like yams. I don't like sweet potatoes, like, mm. at all. I think it's something about the texture that I just doesn't work well with me. And so mm. when people find out that I don't like sweet potato anything, they get really... <laughs> they get really bothered. Like, I lose my Southern card. I lose, my black, I lose lots of cards when it comes out that I don't like sweet potatoes. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> Perfect example. Okay, so what's something awesome that has happened in your life recently? So pretty awesome. Two things have awesome happened in life recently. So one, uh, our sweet and spicy rub finished in first place in the 2021 International Artists and Flavor Awards for dry rubs. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Uh, it's the first time our dry, our spicy rub has finished first place. We finished second and third in the world in various competitions, but that's the first time that our sweet and spicy rub has finished first. All the other products have finished first, except for that one. So that was cool to finally have that one. Uh, and the second cool thing that, or great thing, or awesome thing, really, that happened recently was uh, the one of the local community colleges in Wake County, Wake Wake Tech Community College, is rolling out a new culinary program, and I will be one of the chefs in this culinary program oh, wow. really like beginner barbecue to folks uh and so students who are in this culinary program in addition to all the other courses they're learning about food safety and how to like work in kitchens to get their certification they'll also be learning uh, i'll have some classes teaching them just barbecue matching your flavors preparing your meats you know matching it with the right wood that kind of thing so that's pretty that's pretty awesome we'd like to thank mike d for coming on the show and sharing his expertise Again, we've linked his book and the place to find his products in the show notes. That's our show today. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so others can find us. You can also listen to the Black Belt Voices podcast on most streaming platforms, including Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and NPR One. This episode was edited by Katrina Dupins and Prentice Dupins Jr. with music composed by Prentice Dupins Jr. Black Belt Voices is a production of Black Belt Media, LLC. Thanks again to Southern Bank Corps for underwriting our third season. Be sure to follow Black Belt Voices on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Belt Voices and visit blackbeltvoices.com. 